We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing formations of the secular, uh, we are on page 12. Uh, Roman numeral three. All right, who'd like to read? Many critics have now taken the position that modernity, in which secularism is centrally located, is not a verifiable object. Okay. So, one of the big questions, of course, is, is modernity a thing? And a way to think about this is that our institutions haven't changed. So, how we run our institutions, uh, they're the same now as they were 100 years ago except for changes in demographics. But even then, by demographics, I don't mean different races, except in the case of the changes in the Constitution. I mean the size of the population. And so the question is, is modernity a thing? And if modernity is not a thing, then post-modernity is not a thing either. Right? And so that's one of the big questions. Um, Is it even real? Mm. Or is it just something in people's imaginations? So like the school... Like, it's being run the same way as it's always been exactly. run, so to speak. So there's no institutional differentiation. Okay. And, and, and so, like, meaning there's nothing traceable to modernity that illustrates a change in the institutions. Yeah, like a radical change in structure at yeah. this point in time. Exactly. Because of modernity. As opposed to, uh, um, you know, changes in technology, which are not necessarily modernity. So we have different, definite differences in communication, definite differences in transportation. Good. Um, but um, those are not necessarily related to a change in philosophy. They could cause a change in philosophy, but it could be fair to say that it's not a change in philosophy that caused them. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the questions. Is modernity a thing? You were going to say something. Would the, is that sort of... Does that does that is that assuming that modernity is something that started like if if it is a thing that started a hundred years ago? So modernity itself, um, people trace it back at least to the seventeen hundreds. Yeah. The first hints of it come before, but even then, um, we could say potentially that all right, uh, one shift is that the church does not have authority. Yeah. <clears throat> like with the formation of the United States. Okay. Um, but what else is there? And so that becomes uh, the, the question. Because okay. that's modernity. Secularism is, so he's saying secularism is right in the middle of modernity. And so is modernity a thing? Mm. Okay, continue. They argue that contemporary societies are heterogeneous and overlapping, that they contain disparate, even discordant circumstances, origins, valences, valences, and, valences yeah. and so forth. Okay, so then the other point here is that any society, the larger and larger it gets, the more complex and complicated it gets. And so is modernity even a thing from that perspective? Mm -hmm. So now shift from the institutions to the attitudes of the people, right? You know, is modernity something that we're just saying is in the air? When you have a population today of 300 million plus people, you might have a thousand different uh, uh, major, major attitudes, Mm. right? Of which this thing that we call modernity may be one, okay? of a thousand. So why are we picking modernity? Because he's saying all these things are overlapping, discordant, you know, uh, different valence. values, so forth and so on. I'm sorry? What's a valence? Valence, I mean, so this goes back to back to chemistry, the idea of almost polarity. Um, you know, I don't know what yeah. so, No, no, like, uh, you know, which side of an issue are you on? Oh, so like, uh, okay, positive. Yeah, like exactly. And so, 
So the point being that, um, you know, from that perspective, even in people's imaginations, can we find some constant thread according to a significant amount of population of what we would call modernity? Or is it just that something that people just decided? Mm. My response is that, in a sense, these critics are right. Although the heuristic value of looking for necessary connections should not be forgotten. But that when what we have here is not a simple cognitive error. Assumptions about the integrated character of modernity are themselves part of practical and political reality. Okay, so he's saying on the one hand, things uh, the criticisms are correct. Okay, and heuristic value of looking for necessary connections is basically look at the data, okay, and see what we can find through the data. Can we find something in the data to indicate that modernity mm-hmm. is a real thing or is not a real thing? Okay. But he is saying from a political, that uh, uh, is a reality, yeah. that a lot of these things about modernity are a reality before us, like the formation of the United States. Yeah. Okay, continue. They direct the way in which people committed to it act in critical situations. These people aim at modernity and expect others, especially in the non-West, to do so too. This fact doesn't disappear when we simply point out that the West isn't an integrated totality, that many people in the West contest secularism or interpret it in different ways, and that, or, that the modern epoch in the West has witnessed many arguments and several irreconcilable aspirations. Okay, so what does it mean when it says these people aim at modernity? How would you, how would you explain that? Well, I guess... To define it in terms of what they want other people to do. So, not just what they want other people to do, but they also what they're aspiring to. Yeah. So, think of modernity according to its ideals, whatever they are. Yeah, so it's like this, you know, modern society. You should, certain, you know, I guess that I'm, I'm primarily looking at how we look at other societies that we consider below us. We're like, you need to meet such and such, you know, the third world versus the first world. Mm-hmm. These criteria need to be... So yeah, so so this point being that okay, part of modernity is you know a liberation from religion. Part of modernity is that science can find our answers, and so those and then this modern system of economics. These are things that we're aspiring to as an ideal, as yeah. a utopia, and arguing that other nations that don't do this, other societies that don't do this, there's something wrong with them. They're backwards, backwards. right? And then then he raises this other point that okay, even when we talk about the West. Okay, the West is also this big mixture of things. Because there are even people in the West who do not support secularism. And this book is however much old, 10, 10, 12, 13 years old. Look at America right now in terms of the right. right? They're basically shifting America into a Christian fundamentalist state. Right? And so there's definitely people in the West who oppose modernity or who oppose secularism. And, and so even that which we call the West is hard to define. So think of, think of the West as a big cloud of ideas, peoples, locations, and such that overlap and, and include some things, doesn't include some things. But what's the key point in both of these? That the world is a very complicated place. Right. Okay, continue. On the contrary, those who assume modernity as a project know that already. An aspect of modern colonialism is this. Although the West contains many faces at home, it presents a single face abroad. Okay, think about that point. Mm. That outside of the West, there is one face. Okay. It's a white face, it's a European face, or a Eurocentric face. The default is Christian, and to lesser degree, uh, Judeo-Christian, and to lesser, lesser degree, Judeo-Christian Islamic. 
and 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 so outside, it's a monolith. Inside, it's very very diverse and yeah. self contradictory and all that stuff. So you look like you're about to say something. Is that also like I guess tied into the first point that uh, it's it's like it presents this face to the rest of the world and says, well, you guys are all backwards and uh-huh. you need to like you need to be like this mm-hmm. and like to do that it has to present sort of uh, a very like uh, normal like like a one face type deal like. so <clears throat> the question comes down to is the west doing this or is this how the non-west is seeing the west because think about it in terms of islam right within islam of chicago you got a zillion different approaches a zillion different re- uh, levels of religiousness right uh, but for people who are outside of Islam in Chicago, we'll think we're all one continuous body, right? So some of that might just be, you know, how humanity just works, mm-hmm. right? Um, or people outside might look at the West according to certain perceptions, and so everything that we that they look at will be looked at through that lens. Probably foreign policy, yeah. media, entertainment, something like that, you know. Um, okay, continue. Uh, the important question, therefore, is not to determine why the idea of modernity or the West is a misdescription, but why it has become hegemonic as a political goal. What practical consequences follow from that hegemony, and what social conditions maintain it? Okay, so still, it is fair to say modernity is a project for some people, and it is a political goal for some people. And that has become one of the dominant aspects, speaking specifically of secularization, right? Okay, let's continue. It is right to say that modernity is neither a totally coherent object nor a clearly bounded one, and that many of its elements originate in relations with the histories of peoples outside Europe. Modernity is a project, or rather a series of interlinked projects that certain people in power seek to achieve. The project aims at institutionalizing a number of sometimes conflicting, often involving principles, constitutionalism, moral autonomy, democracy, human rights, civil equality, industry, consumerism, freedom of the market, and secularism. Okay, so this is a, a, good, uh, a good sentence to make a mental note of. Like, what are the, the key pillars of what we call modernity? All these points. Constitutionalism. So now you have an actual document which becomes the DNA of the society. Okay? Mm-hmm. And thus, a lot of the people in the Islamic State movement will say, movement. A lot of people in the Islamic State movement will say, okay, the Quran should be our constitution. Yeah, that in itself it would be a new phenomenon. And we say, well, didn't that, isn't that what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did? Kind of, but not with the sense that the Quran is our document, okay? Because it was an integrated live reality, meaning it was every aspect of life, okay? And then what else? It was, yeah, it was a sacred text, like we were talking about last time. It's not a it's not literature. It's not. It's something you use to like actually live your life. Yeah, and the key point. The key point here would be that we're not isolating the legal aspects from the rest of it. Right. Right. So taking the Quran as a constitution would mean we're just going to take the the legal part of the text, which is like five to ten percent of the text, and no, they're practicing the whole thing simultaneously throughout the entire process. Would you say that's a secularization? Yes. The Quran? A type of secularization, in the sense that you're only using uh, aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, it's more modern in the sense, one of the things not in this list is all the different aspects of your life get segmented. So right. you're no longer a, uh, a complete whole. Yeah. So uh, moral autonomy, so meaning not coming from religion. So morality is not coming from religion. Real, morality is something else natural or built in. Democracy, that's straightforward. Human rights, this is a new phenomenon too. The idea of human rights as a concept, which means that the government has responsibility to its citizens as well as a responsibility to citizens outside of its land. The responsibility of citizens outside of its land is limits in how it can harm them. Okay. And then within its land, it has some obligations. See, these are, these are um, things that we just take as normal. These are things that are new as concepts. And then we might say, Islam has had human rights for 1,400 years, not as a concept. Okay. Civil equality, and so this is across races, across uh, demographics, which also includes opportunity. And then <clears throat> industry, so that's uh, mass production. Consumerism, and the idea of consumerism is not just that I can buy whatever I want, it's that I have the power to make my choices in terms of how I want to live, based on purchases. Okay. It's, what would be there's something so comical based on like how I want to live based on purchase? Yeah. So sort of the the flip side of would that be like a pre-modernity someone would be set in a particular way of life because uh, of the it just means that you don't have as much in terms of markets. Ah, okay. Right. Think about how many markets there are here. Ah. How many shops there are here. Well, right? you can buy. Okay. Yeah. And then freedom of market, which relates to that, is all right. Minimal regulation focused on competition, okay, <coughs> and then of course secularization. So these are some of the big pillars of, of what we'd call uh, uh, modernity. Okay. It employs proliferating technologies of production, warfare, travel, entertainment, medicine that generate new experiences of space and time, of cruelty and health, of consumption and knowledge. Okay, so here's where it gets into the question of, you know, how does this play out? outside of institutions. So it does give us a new consciousness of space and time. Okay? And this is a fascinating way you can see this is when you look at our old paintings, whether the Muslim paintings or others, the weird thing that you'll notice is that, okay, perspective doesn't play out pretty well. It's like everyone's just bashed together. They all look the same size and shape. Um, and that's because that's part of how their consciousness was. And whereas you look at modern painting, mod I mean, modern paintings, I mean, from, from, the time of, of Da Vinci on, you know, you'll have the people in the foreground are larger, the people in the background are smaller, and you have, like, you know, everything converges on a point in the back, right? That's a, a very, a relatively new style of painting. Okay? And it's reflecting a change in how we perceive distance. It doesn't mean that, okay, people back then couldn't tell what 100 meters was. What it means is that, think of when you're watching a movie, okay? And you have two people talking on the phone to each other. And sometimes it'll be a split screen. Okay? And it's as though they're looking at each other. Even though you know from the context of the conversation that one is in one place and the other is in the other place. Right? But someone looking at the screen just sees them looking at each other. And that's how our paintings are. So we're saying our consciousness in our hearts is that, you know, we're not that far from each other. Whereas in the modern era, if you're physically farther away from someone, the sense is that your consciousness, you're also farther away from them. Okay. And so that's, that's a change in space, how you perceive space. Okay. Now, what'll be interesting is to see how much social media really, really changes that. The sense that we're all close to each other. 
that I'm in conversations all day long with relatives and friends who are literally in every corner of the globe, some of whom may not even have running water, but they have Facebook, right? And so that's going to provide different changes of space and then different changes of, of time. Or even looking at time as a thing, that's also very modern. Okay? That's one of the big questions, like, you know, what exactly is time? How do you measure it? I mean, is a brain, even, there's, a, there's a book I was going through that even argues that our brain is not even quite designed to conceive of time. It can conceive of changes day into night, night into day. But the actual moving forward of 60 seconds, you might be used to it because of habit. But is your brain actually wired, so to speak, to comprehend it? That's a, a new thought. Even though the Quran has words like asr and dahar and stuff, um, these are relatively new. Okay, um, cruelty and health, so what is morality, what is proper health? And if we ever get to it, inshallah, this is where uh, Michel Foucault really explores the idea of, like, how do we define what is mental health? Okay. Meaning, what we're actually saying is, how do we define someone who is of ill health? It's because they don't behave like everybody else, mm. right? Does that mean that they're mentally ill? But often, we'll say, yeah. Consumption, knowledge, and we've talked about knowledge, like the whole point about embodying it or not. All these things have changed. Okay, continue. The notion that these experiences constitute disenchantment, implying a direct access to reality, a stripping away of myth, magic, and the sacred, is a salient feature of the modern epoch. Okay, now contrast this with what we were talking about in talking about what is spirituality in Islam. Yeah. Uh, is that also, this is sort of another question, but... Uh, I always see like, like myth and magic, right, and the sacred, like as if to say like, spirituality. It's part of. Uh, it's very, yeah, I guess backwards in a sense or superstitious. Yeah. Right, and that like it's not really based on any rational. Yeah. Ground uh, and mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's not really part of our. Like, I guess in our tradition, like, I feel like it's more root, it's not, there's all, I feel like there's a natural skepticism people have towards, like, certain things. Now, or in our, in our, in our, in our tradition, like, so, even, I mean, like, like, I, I was listening to Mufti Abu Layth, and he was talking about, like, jinn possession, right? But, like, those, a lot of people, I mean, he found, like, historic scholars who said, well, no, we don't really believe in this, like, I, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But that told me that, like, there was always, uh an element of, like, critical thinking and not just taking it all as, like... Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, <clears throat> so there's the eyes in Al-Baqarah that say don't enter the houses from the back. You know, enter them from the front, and the proper way is, you know, with taqwa, right? And a way that that's read is don't have this baseless superstition. If you can connect it with text, which includes the prophet, peace be upon him, as a person, then at least you have a base, and so in the modern era, the base becomes science. Yeah. Okay? Not necessarily text. Mm. And so, so taking that point a step further, <clears throat> when we think of, of spirituality in itself, even that is not even, that's very recent. I mean, 20 years ago, we, never, we barely ever used this term spirituality, right? This idea of being spiritual or religious, that wasn't even on our map, mm. you know, 20 as years a, ago. As American As a thing, Muslims? as American or Muslim. Uh. Okay. And maybe around 20 years ago, you can say we started using it, okay. uh, but move even earlier. I think we barely ever used to talk about that. We had these things that we called New Age, 
you know, with all this alternative stuff. And that's where you'd also even classify things like yoga and things. Um, but this idea of spirituality is a real thing is very current, mm. but it's also sort of a backlash against science. Yeah. But it doesn't really have much base. You it's know, very like, superficial, it seems like. It can be superficial, but the problem is that we don't really just define what it is, except saying it's emotions without really calling it emotions, yeah. right? And so another point to think about, like when we were defining spirituality in an Islamic context, one way we were defining it was clarity. Okay? Yeah which is sort of removing a lot of these things, okay? Not removing the sacred, except to say that everything is sacred. Yeah. When you define something as sacred, then you're saying other things are not. Um, but shift away from that to an older view where you look at everything as sacred, meaning everything is valuable, okay? But we have very much, part of this consumerist society is also a heavy amount of disposableness of everything. Whether we talk about just, you know, cups and paper and all that, but even friendships become disposable, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, these are some big questions. Okay, like, what is it? Um, so he's saying the stripping away of all this is very much part of modernity, getting rid of enchantment. And that can then also lead to nihilism. Have we talked about nihilism? Nihilism is basically where you're saying nothing matters. That can be the end result. Yeah. Um, would you say, going back to the whole spiritual spiritual aspect of it, would you say that's also related to people often, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but do people often confuse that with psychology then, you know, as well? Just like feeling, like you said, emotions and, you know, like if I'm not feeling well, then it must be, you know, something spiritually lacking in me. That's a modern thing. Uh, or not even a modern, a contemporary thing. So psychology is looking for patterns of behavior, uh, right, that you can identify, okay? Um, if you get into things that are outside of patterns of behavior and they have no basis in data, no basis in text, then if you're a psychologist who's doing that, you would probably lose your license because it has no foundation, mm -hmm. right? And the idea is you're looking for patterns in people's behavior. So someone's saying, now, now in, among many psychologists and therapists, they'll say, there's a value for this thing we classify as spirituality, whether it's religion or meditation or something like that, that we do see benefits of it. Uh, but they are not at a point right now where they distinguish between Islam, Christianity, Judaism, general meditation, and such. It's all in this category, right? Okay, continue. It is arguably a product of 19th century romanticism, partly linked to a growing habit of reading imaginative literature, being enclosed within and by it, so that images of a pre-modern past acquire, in retrospect, a quality of enchantment. Okay, so when we're talking about the Romantic era, this is not to be confused, I think, with, with Abdul Malik, right? Romantic Salafi. Maybe this is exactly what he means. So you had the Enlightenment, um, which is 1700s, 1800s, and what are they arguing? That, number one, we don't need religion anymore to have a better life. Yeah. And we can have philosophy giving us a better life than religion does, and better than philosophy, within its philosophy, you, uh, it's what's called empiricism, which is essentially finding data. Mm -hmm. okay. Back then, it wasn't called data, but things that you can actually physically connect to to give you an idea of good, bad, right, wrong, happiness, sadness, all that stuff. Okay. But then there was a pushback against that movement, called the Romantic Movement, which is the opposite. It's basically like saying, 
what we think of when we think of the Salafis, and a pushback against them being the Sufis, but not like the Orthodox Sufis, but the Sufis we hear about that everybody criticizes. You know, like, you know, what we think of in the villages of the subcontinent. Okay? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, so... The Salafis and the Sufis, in the ones you're talking about, are the same, in the same side in this? No, no, so, no, 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 I'm saying, so the Salafis would let, be like the Enlightenment thinkers, in the, the sense that... Oh, the empiricists. Yeah. Oh, and the Sufis, in the way we imagine the Sufis, would be sort of like the Romantics, in the sense that, okay, they're throwing out all those rules, and just talking about experience and enchantment and all that stuff. More like that New Agey stuff. What we would today call New Agey stuff, but this is the 1800s. Okay. Yeah. 1800s, 1900s. And so... Here, this is when you saw people who were really getting interested in the literature of other cultures, like the Arabian Nights, mm. like like Kama Sutra, things like that, right? Oh, yeah, I think yeah. this is, I read a book of some, somewhat similar to this about, um, uh, what is it called? Something, The God Project, something, some guy, some, he's some political philosopher or something in England, he wrote this about how, you know, after uh, Darwin's Origin of the Species was published, mm-hmm. Like that sort of, um, like, with the worldview that was a, a byproduct of that that came out of that basically, which essentially it says all species in the universe are um, they're slaves to uh, evolution. Like at some point, something will come along that's going to be better adapted to survive in this physical reality than you. But so that leaves you very like you know very bleak sort of outlook. So. He wrote this book where he's, he he has he, he talks about two separate groups of people where they couldn't cope with that outlook on life so they 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 tried to like find alternative things so one of them he, he talks about is one of Darwin's students himself he be, got into this weird like pseudo spiritual cult where they they practice like um, what's that you know when people they uh, I forget the term for it but basically they. Uh, you, you people go into this weird trance where they they feel like they're connecting to some, you know, like a to with ghosts and spirits, and they start writing, and whatever they write is from this sort of nether yeah. world, and so they like a, a whole group of these people who were scientists, they got into this whole thing, and and they started believing some type of like this spiritual messiah was about to be born, and then he conversely also talks about uh, uh, the the Russians. After Lenin passing away, these guys were, they believed that too, you know, the socialists. They wanted to find some weird arcane way to, like, preserve Lenin. And that's why they have his body so well preserved. And they were going to create this, like, monument that was supposed to, like, you know, they did research. And basically it would preserve him for forever until they could revive him again. And, you know, they started getting into these, you know, these, you know, they couldn't cope with the reality of it. So they started getting into weird, you know, everyone... All their peers who were scientists would consider like pseudo spiritual or mumbo jumbo or whatever it, it is, mm-hmm. you know, just because of that, that that you know the the byproduct of that that statement or that reality they couldn't cope with that they needed something more than uh, just hey we're like that. yeah that could be part of the the point of the romantics that you know you guys aren't giving us the whole experience of life, right? And here's a whole big aspect of life which we could call an enchanted life um, that you're not capable of addressing. Okay, continue. Uh, projects. Modern projects do not hang together as an integrated totality, but they account for distinctive sensibilities, aesthetics, moralities. It is not always clear what critics mean when they claim that there is no such thing as the West because its modern culture has diverse genealogies taking it outside Europe. 
If Europe has a geographical outside, doesn't that itself presuppose the idea of a space at once coherent and subvertible for locating the West? In my view, that is not the best way of approaching the question. Modernity is not primarily a matter of cognizing, cognizing. cognizing the real, but of living in the world. Okay, so that's a key sentence right there again. So modernity is not a matter of how do you perceive reality. Modernity is a matter of a uh, matter of how you live. So modernity is not okay. What's taking place in your imagination or your perception? It's how do you live? Okay, and so that comes down again to the question of okay, what is it and how real is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so that's why it's not always clear what people are talking about. But a lot of times, what people are talking about is what's in the imagination. Okay. But what can we identify by how people organize themselves? Okay, continue. Since this is true of every epoch, what is distinctive about modernity as a historical epoch includes modernity as a political economic project. So what is unique about modernity? The political structures, okay, like the rise of a constitutional democracy and this economic system where you have banks at the center and cash as a means of transaction which means no longer a barter society. Continue. What interests me particularly is the attempt to construct categories of the secular and the religious in terms of which modern living is required to take place, and non-modern peoples are invited to assess their adequacy. For representations of the secular and the religious in modern and modernizing states mediate people's identities, help shape their sensibilities, and guarantee their experiences. Okay, so basically, <clears throat> what interests me particularly is the attempt to construct categories, like race is a category, right? Citizenship is a category. Okay. And, and that's often how you can look at different, different populations of people, is what are their categories through which they define everything, right? So in Islam, in theory, what would be some of the categories? in which we differentiate degrees of knowledge no. unless it's certification but so not muslim, really muslim non muslim non muslim uh, is a category male female is a category right uh, not much more beyond that like people of the book is a category um, that's what we're saying uh, degrees of knowledge um, is not something you can like actually measure oh okay right yeah or you can identify Okay, continue. Well, what evidence is there that there is such a thing as a modern project? In the review article on the new edition of the Communist Manifesto, the political scientist Stephen Holmes recently claimed that the end of communism has meant the collapse of the last world power officially founded on the Hegelian belief in capital H history, loudly echoed by the manifesto. Okay. So Hegelian, we're basically saying that there's an evolution in history taking place. And communism was the last that was part of an evolution of history and saw itself as part of an evolution of history. So what we're saying is that where we are now, people are trying to ignore history. But continue going. Is, is that where you get the idea of like uh, the end of history yeah. with America? Which we'll see literally in a moment. Yeah. The end of the Cold War means today no single struggle spans the globe. 
Yet this attribution of a universal historical teleology solely to a defeated communism is less than convincing. Leaving aside non-Hegelian apologists for the Neo-Hegelian Neo, apologists for the New World Order, such as Francis Fukuyama, Holmes's disregard of U.S. attempts to promote a single social model over the globe is puzzling. Okay, so Francis Fukuyama is a guy who says the end of history. He's yeah. the guy. And so what else is he saying? Part of the Hegelian idea is that this is a global shift from evolution to evolution to evolution. And, and so, so Assad is saying, okay, the U.S. is doing exactly the same thing. So the U.S. is also actually seeing itself uh, as the next uh, advancement into history and trying to make the entire world like it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Especially over the past 15 years, the, ana the analysis and prescriptions by the international agencies dominated by the United States, OECD, IMF, the World Bank, have been remarkably similar regardless of the country being considered. Seldom... Okay, so, so you see that point, right? That these institutions, IMF, World Bank, etc., um, is treating almost all the countries very, very similarly. It's models and such. So it is trying to have a global order. Yeah. So it's all there, right? That the, the way to fix some of the problems in many of these countries is through economics. And the economic structures will have some differences from country to country, but for the most part, it'll be the same. Yeah. Okay, continue. Seldom, observes Serge Halimi, has the development of the whole of humanity been conceived in terms so closely identical and so largely inspired by the American model. Okay. As so, a, so the key oh. point is that he's just responding to this person, saying America is just about the most global nation in the history of the world. Yeah. As far as we know. As Halimi notes, that model is not confined to matters of free trade and private enterprise, but includes moral and political dimensions, prominent among them being the doctrine of secularism. Okay, so not just economics and politics, but morality as well. Yeah. If this project has not been entirely successful on a global scale, if its result is more often further instability than homogeneity, it is certainly not because those in a position to make far-reaching decisions about the affairs of the world reject the doctrine of a singular destiny, a transcendent truth for all countries. That the opponents of this project are themselves often driven by totalizing ideologies and intolerant attitudes is undoubtedly true. However, it is as well to stress, in the aftermath of the September 11th tragedy, that my point here is not to blame America and justify its enemies, but to indicate that as the world's only superpower, the protection of its interests and commitment to freedom require America to intervene globally and to help reform local conditions according to what appear to be universal values. Okay, so a couple of interesting point. points. One, <clears throat> he says the opponents of this project are themselves driven by totalizing ideologies. What would be an example of an opponent? the Khilafah movement, right? When people are speaking about the Khilafah movement, they are almost never speaking about it being limited to one particular region. You know, in the vision is global. So he's saying American vision is global, as are many of the opponents of the American vision. When people are speaking of a rise, a new rise of communism, they're looking at a global vision, mm -hmm. not just in a particular region. Okay. The other interesting thing is, again, uh, what, what America is defining as universal values. Okay is basically then trying to make everything 
looking at everything as being one and the same or should be one and the same. This is uh, what uh, T.J. Winter of Dohaki Murad speaks of as like monoculture. Oh, yeah. yeah. The reformed local conditions include new styles of consumption and expression. Whether these are best described as freely chosen or imposed is another question. And so, yeah, so local conditions get reformed with new styles, and the question is, okay, is this imposed, meaning all these American businesses are established there, yeah. or are they choosing it? And that's a different conversation. Yeah. Well, we should look, therefore, we should look, therefore, at the politics of national progress, including the politics of secularism, that flow from the multifaceted concept of modernity exemplified by the West, and especially by America as its leader and most advanced exemplar. But should we not also inquire about the politics of the contrary view? What politics are promoted by the notion that the world is not divided into modern and non-modern, into West and non-West? What practical options are opened up or closed by the notion that the world has no significant binary features, that it is, on the contrary, divided into overlapping, fragmented cultures, hybrid selves, continuously dissolving and emerging social states? Okay. So, so the question is, um, is there anything that's truly binary, meaning either you're this or you're that? You're saying, on the contrary, everything is super complicated. You have these different identities that are overlapping, these different cultures that are overlapping. You have cultures that are fragmented, meaning they uh, address different parts of life, but not the whole. What would hybrid selves be? Us three? Yeah, I was going to say, right, yeah. like, uh, having multiple identities. Yeah, exactly. That it's third, a mixture of all culture. these different... I'm yeah, sorry? Third cultures. And so then it becomes a third culture. It's a yeah, mixture of multiple like cultures. When you ask... When you, I remember you always ask in your class, like, are you Western? Yeah. And, like, the Muslim kids don't know what to do. Yeah, they exactly. They have an aneurysm. They're yeah. like, I can't be Western. <laughs> like, I'm Muslim. Exactly. And then these are, you know, reforming, continually dissolving... Um, yeah, and so the key point is that part of this outlook of, for example, for example, secular is dividing the world either to secular or non-secular, right? When you make things sacred, then you're saying things are sacred or not sacred, okay? and you're making everything binary. Okay? You're saying nothing in the world is binary, yeah. or almost nothing. Yeah. As part of such an understanding, I believe we must try to unpack the various assumptions on which secularism, a modern doctrine of the world and in the world, is based. For it is precisely the process by which these conceptual binaries are established or subverted that tells us how people live the secular, how they vindicate the essential freedom and responsibility of the sovereign self in opposition to the constraints of that self by religious discourses. Okay, so he's basically saying, what do we need to look at? How does secular lived, okay, in contrast to the religious? Okay. Uh, you want to continue or you want to stop here? Um, maybe we'll stop here, okay. and the next time, inshallah, we'll do Roman numeral four. Our Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika, nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk, wa akhir da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.